From the concert halls to the juke joints, from churches to festivals in the fields, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan, celebrating the sounds of Memphis for more than 20 years. Heard around the globe on NPR Worldwide. Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Jared J.B. Boyd. This week on Bill Street Caravan, we have the troubadours of Americana, Drew Holcomb and the neighbors on the show. Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis will be with us to deliver an installment of the Blues Hall of Fame, an exploration of the lives of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame here in Memphis, Tennessee, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, JB. This week on the show, we've got our friend Drew Holcomb and his band, The Neighbors, joining us for a performance in front of his hometown crowd. That's right. Even though the band is associated with the Nashville music scene, their fearless leader, Drew Holcomb, is from good old Memphis. It was refreshing to sit down with Drew prior to the show and have a real conversation about his journey, finding himself and a love of music that took him across the state of Tennessee. Of course, our city is known for its rich heritage in rhythm and blues and rock and roll. But Drew is a shining example that Memphis-bred musicians can do more. That seemed obvious, especially considering that singer-songwriters pop up anywhere regardless of geography. <laughs> but there's a complicated conversation happening in Tennessee's music community. And at the risk of adding fuel to a fiery in-state rivalry, I'm willing to throw the gauntlet down and emphasize Drew's Memphis origin. He certainly was a mainstay in local bars in his early days. And he recorded his debut solo material here in town before going to college at the University of Tennessee and eventually growing his audience and enticing listeners everywhere in the state. And of course, early in his career, he wed Ellie Holcomb, who joined the earliest iteration of The Neighbors, though she'd soon break away on her own. Of course, that's worth mentioning, as the couple has continued to collaborate throughout the years. And during our time with Drew, he has underscored the importance of family to his songwriting process. Fast forward to today, Drew Holcomb is a veteran of his craft, with numerous studio and live releases under his belt. Currently, he's promoting his June 2023 release, Strangers No More. The album explores themes of togetherness in a post-pandemic world, and we were lucky to be with Drew as he presented new music and his classical material for a homecoming performance in front of an enamored local crowd. Let's check it out. Here's Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, live on Bill Street Caravan. Don't die 
Here's more from Drew Holcomb, live on Bill Street Caravan.
the light comes off the moon At the top of the chapel Is God in the room In the ruins of the castle Where the ramparts lie In the valley of a prison Where the well runs dry I'm looking for possibility Possibility It's festival season It's a room at the top I need rhyme or reason Down to the last drop Am I a handsome devil Or an angel in disguise A deputy was Drew Holcomb live on Beale Street Caravan. We'll be back with more music from the band in just a bit. 
Up next, Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis takes us through the life histories of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. This segment is brought to you by the Blues Foundation and is also available as a standalone podcast through iTunes. If you ever wondered how the blues became rock and roll, there's two words you need to know. Roy Brown. Lots of folks forgot about Roy Brown. They think the Stones dug Mighty Waters, the Beatles dug Howlin' Wolf, Elvis dug Big Boy Crudup, and that's it. Nothing wrong with any of that as far as truth goes. It's true. But rock and roll didn't travel that way. To feel where rock and roll came from, you got to walk in a blown-out pair of shoes resold with cardboard. That's what Roy Brown wore into New Orleans. He carried nothing but a song. It was all he had after hopping the red-eyed greyhound out of Galveston. When that hound pulled into the Crescent City, Roy checked the paper and saw that his idol was in town. Roy thought, if I ever get to be a blues singer, I'd like to be that guy. He's good and he knows it. He just takes charge. Roy picked up a brown paper sack, scribbling down the words to his song, and hoped Wynoni Harris would buy it. He started hoofing on those cardboard soles from the bus terminal uptown and thought about his song. It first came to be as a jingle for the place Roy used to work in Galveston, Club Grenada, part cat house, part nightclub, part reefer store. Roy Brown sang with the house band, the Melodiers, mostly Sinatra and Bing. The lady who ran the Grenada asked him to do a ditty over the radio to advertise the place, make it sound fun. Roy had no problem inventing a colorful cast of characters. Sweet Lorraine, Sioux City Sue, Elder Brown, and Caldonia too, that partied at Club Grenada. After all, his mama's name was True Love Brown. Now, to cleverly explain what was going on, but in code, he couldn't come right out and say reefer and playgirls. It came to him. I heard the news, there's good rockin' tonight. He sold the people of Galveston on the rockin' concept. They came to Club Grenada and rocked. Roy felt confident about that. Now would the same thing work for Wynoni Harris? Roy walked toward a building, three stories of gray stone, pink siding, and blurry cube windows, the rainbow room. He pushed through the door and saw Wynoni sitting at the bar. Up close, Wynoni looked every bit as flamboyant, brash, and dashing as he sounded on the jukebox. Wynoni smoked and joked with the fans while a lump grew in Roy's throat. Roy just stood there on his cardboard soles, torn paper sack in hand. Wynoni turned a gray eye toward him. What's this? I got a song, Roy said. Wynoni flailed his arms on not another one of these songs. Yes, I want you to hear it. Wynoni walked off. Don't bother me, son. Roy folded up his sack and left. He wandered down the street toward the next club. It was 2.30 in the morning. Out of the dewdrop inn, Roy heard a piano fire like a machine gun, and that meant only one thing, Cecil Gant. When Gant stepped off stage and lit up, he walked right into Roy, who threw the same pitch that sent Wynoni Harris running. Gant was cool, though. Let me hear, he said. When Roy got through, Gant said, I gotta make a call. Hold on. A minute later, Gant called Roy to the payphone. Sing it, Gant said. For who? President Deluxe Records. 
Roy Brown uncorked his loudest good rocking tonight into the cigarette stinking receiver, and after he finished, heard nothing. After what felt like forever, Mr. Deluxe cleared his throat. <clears throat> Will you sing it once more? This time, Mr. Deluxe told Roy to get Gant back on the line. Gant heard the president say, Give him $50, don't let him out of your sight. Within weeks, Roy's new record blared out of every jukebox along Rampart Street. He caught on as artist-in-residence at Club Downbeat, where he shouted the blues until sunrise. He made 10 bucks a night, had a room above the dance hall, and all the girls on blackberry wine he could handle. Not even Wynoni Harris could ignore those results. Now, Wynoni had to pay for the privilege to sing a song he could have owned for pocket change. Roy cut his good rockin' in mellow mode. He sang it in that Sinatra Bing swing from Galveston days. Wynoni turned the heat up a little. Now, the two versions battled in Billboard magazine's top 15 and began a revolution. If Wynoni wanted to jump Roy's claim, that was all right. But Roy thought he might just have to cop some of Wynoni's style in return. Roy hit back with his record, Mighty Mighty Man. Now he had attitude, rockin' lingo, and could outshout Wynoni Harris himself. Well, I'm a mighty, mighty man. I'm young and I'm in my prime. Yes, I'm a mighty, mighty man. The music world didn't quite know what to make of Roy's sound. Billboard described his rock and blues shout sandwiched between some woolly jazz licks. One news story hollered, Roy Brown puts blues singing on a new kick. Roy sings the blues with a spiritual shouting rhythm. Roy put together a group called the Mighty Mighty Men and headed out on the Chitlin circuit. Their record smoked so hot, Mr. Good Rockin' and the Mighty Mighty Men played to packed houses from their home turf in New Orleans up to Beale Street in Memphis, all the way to the Crown Jewel. They stormed the Apollo in Harlem. Before the notoriously cold audience even knew what was happening, Tenor sax man Leroy Rankins swung out of the rafters onto the stage and the mighty, mighty men appeared all dressed in matching purple suits, blowing the roof off. That night, Leroy Rankins became known as Batman. Roy totally bypassed the MC and provided his own introduction. Good rockin', that's my name. They're gonna put my rock in the Hall of Fame. He sweat through four suits per hour and lost 10 pounds a day working the Apollo. Roy's wife came to see the show for the first time. Afterwards, they sat in a cafe together. The waiter set down a tray of two whole chickens and two orders of fries. Roy's wife said, You know I don't eat much. I doubt we each need our own chicken. He told her, You order what you want. That's for me. Roy and his mighty men rocked the circuit from the Apollo all the way down to Haney's Big House, a juke joint in Faraday, Louisiana. Two teenage cousins, born months apart, biked through the Faraday night searching for trouble. They stopped off at Haney's. Their uncle Lee owned the place. Both kids carried their uncle's name. But not even that could get Jimmy Lee Swaggart and Jerry Lee Lewis admission to the Big House. 
Outside in the darkness, they could see beams of neon light glowing between the cracked slats in the wall. They heard the PA spark and felt music and dancing vibrate the whole building. Haney's big house rocked. Jimmy Lee and Jerry Lee peeked through the windows. Liquor bottles stood tall behind the bar. Slot machines blinked. On stage, six men in purple suits jumped and kicked in time while a guy hopped from the bar to a table wailing tenor sax. Consider their young minds blown. Many years down the road, after Roy and Batman and the rest of the Mighty Mighties had gone on, somebody asked Jerry Lee what he saw. It was like strolling through heaven, he said. Jerry Lee struggled with how to explain same as Billboard did in the late 40s. It was like giving birth to a new music that people needed to hear, he said. But even this explanation fell short. Finally, it became clear. Rock and roll, Jerry Lee said. That's what it was. Roy Brown and his mighty, mighty men left Faraday and headed for a recording date in Dallas. They had toured for nearly a full solid year, rarely catching a night off, but they had their chemistry down. They knew exactly what drove crowds wild down to the note. In Dallas, they put it all on wax, the overpowering intensity of Batman swinging from the stage curtains, hands clapping like the devil's choir, and Roy chanting for the people to rock this joint, tear off the roof. Now, Roy was good, and he knew it. He just took charge. He'd never walk in cardboard sole shoes again. Roy rocked so strong and steady, white musicians only took six more years to catch on. Well, I heard the news. That's good to rock it tonight. Well, I heard the news. That's good to rock it tonight. I'm gonna hold my baby Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.
Bill Street Caravan has brought the sounds of Memphis to public radio airwaves for more than 20 years. And now you can see what we've been talking about. Check out our series of digital shorts through our website or go to iListenToMemphis.com. I Listen to Memphis is about Memphis music today, the people who make it, and the places and culture that fuel it. iListenToMemphis.com. Bill Street Caravan is supported by awards from Memphis Travel and Tennessee Arts Commission. We're back, and for those of you who are just tuning in, we've got Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors on the show with us today. The Nashville-based group is anchored in the songwriting of its leader, Drew Holcomb. As we've mentioned, he's a Memphis native. You know, we don't want to beat that fact to death. Yes, but we, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> but we do want to salute Drew's ability to branch out beyond our region to be a truly dominating musical force in a genre that's not typically associated with our side of the state. True enough, he's even moved his annual Moon River Music Festival to Chattanooga, helping the city be a destination for fans of artists adjacent to and influenced by Drew and the Neighbors. And, as we highlighted above, the level of songwriting that is a focal point of the group keeps fans following the band, album after album and year after year. It'd be difficult to overstate the thoughtfulness of Drew Holcomb's songwriting. Inspired by his experiences as a husband, father, a world observer, you know, he went to school to study religion, even taking his studies abroad to Scotland. I can't imagine the immense impact an experience like that would have on the average person, let alone someone who's a songwriter, tasked to provide context for the world through lyricism. He does quite a captivating job of incorporating all of those influences. And I have to say, he keeps those fans because every year as he grows, he's writing about it. And his fans, they're growing in their life too, so they can understand where he's coming from. And it's no surprise with all the locales that play their own individual role in Drew's past, that sense of place is a major underlying theme in his music and in his music-making process. Well, let's go back to where it all started for him. Here's Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors in Memphis, live on Bill Street Caravan.
Georgia, that's Rich Princefield. Back on the drums from Dallas, Texas, that's Bill Sales. Y'all give it up. From just up the Mississippi River in St. Louis, Missouri, on the keys, that's Ian Miller. The youngest and prettiest of the bunch. We're on my right. First show we ever played together was in 2004 across the street at the PH Cafe. From Memphis, Tennessee, the one, the only, the inimitable, inimitable, can't be imitated, this guy. That's Nate Duggar. If I could be like Albert Einstein I'd rather just be dumb and be with you If I could sing like Frank Sinatra well, I would rather just sit and talk to you Feels like Saturday night in here. How y'all feeling? Right, I'm gonna sing something, you're gonna sing something back to me, all right? I'm gonna say all the money in the world, and you're gonna say all the money. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that in the back? 
fruit. All the money in the world. All the money! All the money! All the money in the world.
three, two, two, three. Take a few chances, a few worthy romances. Go swimming in the ocean on New Year's Day. Don't listen to the critics. Stand up and bear witness. Go slay all the dragons that stand in your way. I was climbing a mountain, asleep in the moonlight. Ghost of my grandpa came to me in a dream. The stars hung above us. He started singing this chorus. He laughed loud as heaven and said this to me. Take a few chances, a few worthy romances. Go swimming in the ocean on New Year's Day. Don't listen to the critics. Till the sunrise, a war and love and sorrow. I said, Stop spending all your money on forgiveness of sins. Today is all you promised. Don't trouble with tomorrow. Faded into the forest, proudly singing this.
We're here live on Bill Street Caravan. I'm with Drew Holcomb of Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. How you doing, Drew? I'm doing great, man. Yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing fantastic. We're, we're here at Minglewood Hall. We plan to be at the historic <laughs> Overton Park Shell, but there's a lot of history in this place. Yeah, too. a little pivot, you know. Yeah, we we actually played here. We were, I was just looking in the in the lounge room and got all the posters from back in the day. And we the last time we were here was maybe 2012. So okay. 11 years ago. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, Speaking of history and your history here, your, your home, this is yeah. this is home for you. And I imagine if you grew up playing here, or if you started your career and jumped off and launched off from Memphis, Tennessee, what are some of the venues that stick out in your mind when you think of Memphis and coming up playing music? My first shows in town were across the street at the old PH Cafe. There you go. Uh, Corey Brannon was doing a residency every Monday for a month, and he invited me to open all four of them. So I did 30 minutes four Mondays straight, and then that led to me getting my first and only headline show there at PH Cafe. I think I maybe did a couple of them. But really, the high tone is where I kind of really built a following and cut my teeth. The one that was on Poplar, the old uh, Elvis Dojo, across yeah. from Overton Park. But the high tone was our home for a long time, and then played here at Minglewood a few times. Uh, and then, really, the Orpheum has been our home for a while, but we also did, for many years, my, my only show in Memphis was we had the Moon River Music Festival at The Shell. And we did it for, for three out of four years there. Outside of your own performance and music, what are some other the, the sights and sounds, attractions, memories, things that come flooding back to you when you hit Memphis? Yeah, I mean, my family, my life was here, you know, until I was 18, everything in my life was Memphis. My first shows were down at Music Fest. My dad and I used to go down and eat barbecue. What's the one right here? Barbecue shop. We used to go eat steak at Buckley's on Poplar. Um, <laughs> I take a lot of Memphis with me. I, people ask me, what, what's the biggest thing you've taken with you from Memphis? And I think I've had this really, what I consider a, a good Memphis-sized chip on my shoulder my whole career. And I love it, it's a great place. Underrated is what I tell everybody. There you go. You know? This record, is it inspired at all by the pandemic? Could you share, let us behind the curtain a little bit? Of yeah, for it? sure. We've been a non-stop touring band since 2005 and that was taken away in, in for almost 18 months. And the only shows we played were to video cameras and computer screens, and that was a sort of isolating and lonely experience. Um, but when we got back on stage in front of people, this band was playing like we've never played before. When you have something taken away from you and you get it back, I think you appreciate it more. I mean, it's just, it's a tough time, and this record is me trying to fight my way through that. Sure. But yeah. I do want to make sure that we uh, touch on the Moon River Festival because yeah. it's coming up in September and it's quite a lineup. As you mentioned, it's moved to uh, Chattanooga. Could you tell me a bit about the festival, how it was conceived and, and, and how excited you are? Yeah, very excited about it. But as it's grown and years have gone by, my personal responsibility for details has gotten less and less, which is a good thing for me and for the festival goers. Yeah, I started it here in Memphis in 2000. 14, and it was a sort of just a harebrained idea of putting on our own event, and we did it for three years straight. It went great. It was successful, but very stressful. I mean, financially it was stressful. Weather was stressful. Bam, there's just so much about it. But we were, I was spending three months a year doing things like, do we, you know, with my partners on it, working on like, do we have enough ice for the event? Do we have the port, like all these, I'm not equipped to do these kind of things. 
And it got to a point where also in, in Memphis, you know, at that point, Mempo had started and there was just a lot, the, 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 the free series of the show, there's a lot of great stuff in town. And at the time, the folks that run Bonnaroo, AC Entertainment, came to us and said, hey, would y'all be interested in, in partnering with us? We'd love to take it over and take away all of those difficult parts of it, but sort of based on the saturation of stuff that was already going on here, they said, what, if, what would you think about moving it to Chattanooga? And, you know, we said, let's talk about it. So we met with folks there, and the officials there welcomed us with open arms, and it just made sense for a lot of different logistical reasons and creative reasons to, to move the festival to Chattanooga. I'm not sure it would have survived otherwise, just yeah. because of all that stress it was causing on, on me and my partners. So I'm really just a, a minority participant now. I, I help, uh, I think my main roles are sort of helping with the lineup, dreaming it up. I don't actually call the bands and book them, but you know, I help put together the lineup and then creatively like the fan experience. Well, I know you're excited to get on stage tonight and, and have an incredible homecoming show. One last question. I think we share uh, a love of, of bourbon and I understand yeah. you even spent some time in Scotland uh, yeah. as you were growing up. Share with our listeners, please, just a little bit about your background and, and spirits and why you dig bourbon. That's my particular drink. Yeah, for sure. I was never a big partier. I was more of a, it's like an old soul sipper, you know? Mm. Um, so when I went to Scotland my junior year, uh, this guy I met over there invited me to his house for dinner. And I met through, he was actually a preacher. Mm. And he's like, hey, do you want to come over after the evening service, which is the one I had gone to? And I said, sure. And he pulls out a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. And so my first scotch ever was Johnny Walker Blue, which is pretty nice. Yeah. And then I got into like, you know, the, 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 the PDR stuff, the Lafroigs, the Lagavulins, and came back and all my Southern friends were like what are you you trader you're not drinking bourbon so I'll, I'll do bourbon too let's yeah. let's get so old charter eight year was my like go-to when i was younger and then as uh you know as you travel like the bourbon thing started to become like a big deal and i people offer me crazy bottles of this and that for tickets and next thing you know i look up on my shelf and i've got 100 bottles of pretty good bourbon and my manager got really into it he started a private speakeasy and you know one thing leads to another and then I get asked to partner on this one called Sweetens Cove, which is in East Tennessee near Chattanooga. I'm just, I'm, again, a very small partner in it, but but it's been fun to be a part of it. Well, cheers to that. Cheers to yeah. more rare moments, and I hope you have an incredible show tonight. Thanks for being Thanks on Beale Street Caravan. Thanks for having me. All right, I appreciate it. Here's more from Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors live on Beale Street Caravan.
was Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors live on Bill Street Caravan. For more info on the man and his band, visit DrewHolcomb.com. Bill Street Caravan is supported by awards from Memphis Travel and Tennessee Arts Commission. We like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public broadcasting. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. 